We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Is up, Substance. You did it. You made it to church. And you're going to be so glad you did. If we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas, and uh, we got this whole substance thing started back in the day. And uh, of course, we are in a teaching series that is designed to help you get intimacy with God. I, I just, you know, I've just over the last several weeks, I've felt really convicted that God just wants to take every one of us to a whole new level of intimacy with him. Can you imagine what it would be like if you could, honest to God, have intimacy like Adam and Eve had before sin entered the world where you could walk with God, talk with God, you could get divine insights about everything. God, why is the sky blue? God, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? I believe that God wants to have that level of intimacy with you and I. And, And whatever level of intimacy you think is possible with God, let me tell you something. God has a whole nother level. God wants to whisper secrets to you, things that you would never naturally know. He wants, to, he wants you to download supernatural email, and yet a lot of us, we, we think that that's not even possible, that that's not even, a, that, that that's not even a, a, a thing that God would like to have with us. Well, Jesus said if you really walk with God the way that God wants to walk with you, that you're going to even do greater miracles than me, Jesus said. That's possible for you and I. Did you know that greater, Jesus did some pretty cool stuff. I'm just saying, and yet to to think that Jesus said that we can actually do greater miracles than him if we understand the type of intimacy that God wants us to have with him, man, that's a whole nother level than I think a lot of us are experiencing today. And so I wanna talk really throughout, over the next month, I'm gonna be unpacking the, the, the barriers of intimacy with God that you and I can remove. And some of you, you're gonna be like, wow, I never knew it could be this fun and this good. But I'll tell you what, before we dive into our Bible text for today, I wanna set it up by telling you about a strange experiment that I read about not too long ago. Many You guys know that I, I love reading kind of uh, weird, nerky, nerdy psychology journals because a lot of it, I just, I don't know, maybe I just need to unpack my own crazy mind a little bit. And, and I also love how all the secular research confirms what the Bible has said all along. And uh, there's this, like if you, were, if you were to go through like the top 50 most famous psychology studies over the last like century, one of them is this one study that a lot of people have nicknamed the chocolate chip cookie study. And if you're really nerdy, the, the formal name for it is called Baumeister's ego depletion. And, uh, you know, like, I don't, psychologists have no imagination. Baumeister's ego depletion. But I, I just, if you're really nerdy, you can check that out. But the goal of the study was simply to say, why are some people better at self-denial than others? Why do some people have better impulse control than other people? And, and is this something that's even programmed into us since kids? Since, you know, like, and, and so they did all these studies, kind of the, the famous classic version of this study that's been done hundreds of times is what they'll do is they'll take a, a group of kids and, and and they'll put them in a room with a video camera and then they'll, they'll come before them and they'll sit, sit before them a plate of hot chocolate chip cookies and say, you can eat these cookies, but if you're willing to wait 10 minutes, I am gonna bring you something even better than this plate of cookies, right? But if you eat even one of these cookies, I'm not gonna bring it. 
but you're able to eat these cookies, okay? You're welcome to have these cookies, but if you can wait 10 minutes, and so 10 minutes is kind of the self-denial period, and then what they do is they'll leave the room to kind of let the kid just decide whether or not they're gonna eat these cookies, whether or not they're gonna wait 10 minutes and get something better, or whether they're just gonna jump right in. And of course, the videos of some of these kids are absolutely hilarious. There's some kids who are just like, the second the, the adult closes the door, they just grab the cookie. <laughs> They're like, I already know the inevitable end of this thing. I'm not gonna wait for something 10 minutes from now. I'm gonna eat these cookies, right? And other kids, they're like, well, you know, they're, they're just like torn up inside. Am I gonna eat it or am I gonna wait? But wait, and you can just see the moral conflict in their heads. And, and so some of these kids, they'll even just like, well, maybe if I just smell it. <laughs> and they'd get right up to these cookies and then one, one kid even was like, Maybe if I just touch my tongue to it. <laughs> and, and then they're like, but they're, they're going back and forth like, do I really wanna do it? Like this isn't technically eating it. <laughs> and you know, like for like five minutes, just, just on the edge. Okay, now what was interesting is that the good news of all this research that they found out after kind of hundreds of times doing Baumeister's ego depletion, they found out that actually it's not necessarily intrinsic to kids, that, that delayed gratification is a skill that you and I can increase, and there's several factors that can increase it or decrease it. That, that there's this, so they've, they've done hundreds of studies even on the study, and one of the insights that they found that was kind of interesting to me that really illustrates the Bible is they found that the trustworthiness of the promiser was essential for the person to delay gratification. So for example, okay, let's say you are offering me a plate of hot cookies and you give me the same, you know, the same option. If you wait 10 minutes, I'll bring you something better. Now, naturally, I'm gonna start asking questions about you. Like for example, do I believe that, do I trust you that you actually will bring me something better? Are you a person who actually delivers on your promises? Or are you the type of person who makes up all sorts of weird bad promises? Right? Or I'm gonna ask the question, are you one of those weirdo people that thinks celery is better than cookies? You know what I'm saying? Because we all know those people exist. Some of you are related to them, right? And, uh, and, and we all know they exist. Do I believe that your definition of good is, is my definition of good? I'm gonna ask all sorts of questions about you, the promiser, whether, to determine whether or not it's even worth it for me to wait 10 long minutes. You see, uh, again, the point is, is what they found in this, this study is that if a person had a lot of parental wounds or a lot of distrust in authority, that, that they would be significantly less likely to exhibit self-denial. So think about that. If you, if you had parental wounds, your parents were not faithful to their promises, or you had distrust in authority, that, that actually impulse control became a lot more difficult because you're just gonna take the cookies right away. This is all you get, right? This is the only thing that's guaranteed. The bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? Whatever uh, you know, justification we can find to just jump right in, we're gonna do it. And, and, and think about that. Just, it, it's interesting how that would affect 
self-denial. And I, I think the same thing is true when it comes to our Heavenly Father. Biblically, one of the consequences, the Bible says, of really trusting in God and seeing him as he is, that self-denial and, and self-control will naturally overflow in our lives. It's not something you have to strive for. It's not something that you have to hype yourself up. It's just a, if you know who God is and you see him as the Bible sees him, Jesus said, you're not even going to worry about tomorrow, Matthew 6. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask, and you're just gonna be chill about it. You see, you're not gonna, striving is what pagans, fatherless pagans do, but not, not people that have a good heavenly father. I, I remember uh, one of my first Christian friends after I uh, gave my life to Christ, one of my first, I, I'll never forget my first accountability group, we were wrestling with scripture and obedience to the scriptures, and, and one of my Christian friends had a father who uh, had abandoned them when he was little, um, just literally one night up and left, just packed his suitcase and left. And uh, the abandonment that he felt as a result of that moment was so uh, evident that he, he even admitted to me, I, I think, he goes, every time I read the word Father in Scripture, Heavenly Father, I struggle. I struggle because my father was not necessarily trustworthy. And, and he goes, I, I, I know that God is different philosophically, but you know, I, I still feel that trauma. But, and, and, and that was really interesting to me because you know, he and I were constantly trying to hold each other accountable for certain things. And yet, sometimes over time, it almost felt like, you know what? It was almost me holding him accountable every single week uh, versus vice versa. And, and those of you who've gone through our growth track, you know that my, my conversion story was pretty miraculous. I, I literally prayed, God, if you're real, if you exist, then show me what religion is the right religion. And then 30 seconds later, a guy came up and shared Christ with me. And the, the, it felt so impossible. Like there's no way that was a coincidence that that miracle kind of drove me into the scriptures. That miracle of God answering my prayer in a nightclub like that. So, so, you know, so crazy that I read my Bible differently because of that miracle, okay? Now, just hear me out here because the, the very foundation of my, my conversion happened in such a crazy way that, that for in the coming months, I started reading my Bible differently. And here's why this is profound. All of a sudden, the commands of the Bible did not feel like an obligation to me. They felt like a celebration to me. Do you see the difference? It wasn't a have to, it was a get to. It wasn't a list of requirements, it was a list of results after the miracle that I had experienced. Okay, Christianity was not an obligation, it was a celebration. Why? Because all of a sudden, Christianity was not a moral philosophy with some distant God. It was a relationship with a heavenly Father who did everything for me. The least I could do was start honoring some of his commands. You, you know, it was, it, was, it was a natural thing that, that started flowing out of me. Now, the reason why that was important is because, because I, I'll never forget before I was a Christian, somebody told me, I remember somebody was telling me about the Bible teaches about sex. And I, of course, at that time, I was not living a biblical lifestyle. And, and uh, you know, they were telling me about how the Bible teaches about keeping sex in the, in the context of biblical marriage. And I, I literally said this out loud. I'm like, who in their right mind would ever become a Christian? Like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Again, the, the teachings of Christianity actually felt like oppressive obligation rather than celebration. 
Well, why would I think that? Well, because I, I didn't understand anything about Christianity yet. And, and then, but then why did it change after I became a Christian? Well, again, I had a high amount of trust in the promiser because of the miracle that I experienced. And as a result, self-denial was kind of a, a, I didn't have to try, it just naturally flowed from me. Now, the reason why I share all this is because my friend, my Christian friend had not made the switch yet. He had not made that switch yet. And in our accountability group, he would constantly ask me the same question. Peter, why am I so terrible at obedience? Peter, why am I so terrible at obedience? It actually became kind of like his cliche line every single week. He would say the same thing. And really what he was kind of saying, to put it another way, is Peter, why do I keep eating the plate of hot cookies? Why am I incapable of even finding out what is possible at the end of the 10 minutes? Is really kind of what he was asking me in another way. And I finally told him, bro, like, I just asked him, do you really truly believe that God has something better for you, that he's got miracles waiting for you? And, and, and over time he finally said, you know what? That's actually a great question. To be honest, Peter, no, I don't. I do not trust the Heavenly Father. My whole life I've been on my own. Everything I've ever gotten, I've gotten from myself. That's the truth. And, and he goes, there's never been any, to put it another way, there's never been anything better than this plate of cookies sitting right in front of me. I don't trust the promiser, really, is what he was saying. And therefore, he would never have the ability to wait. Fundamentally, though, I remember walking away from that with a revelation that his main problem was not an obedience problem, it was a trust problem. It was an intimacy problem. And I would like to argue today that maybe the reason why Christianity has never worked for you or the reason why it's always felt more like a religion or a, or a moral philosophy is because you've never actually had the type of intimacy that God wants to have with you. And as a result, all these kind of this power thing, the, the supernatural side of Christianity always feels like kind of a weird detached reality. Why do I never experience miracles? Well, maybe it's because there's, there's a lack of intimacy that all of a sudden gives way to a lack of miracles. Okay, just what if that was the issue? And church, the reason why I'm saying this is because ultimately, I don't believe that God calls us to a religion. He calls us to a relationship. And I could say it this way. Another, it's God, think about it this way. Jesus said, I came to reveal the Father. He said, Father, I've manifested your name. He said, he said you want to know how to pray? Pray this. Our Father who art in heaven. You have to understand, he, the, 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 the Hebrew word Abba, translated Father, was one of the most intimate ways you could refer to God ever. No Jewish person in those days would ever refer to God as Father. This was a very unique thing that Jesus taught. He's like, I want you to relate to God like, like with an intimate daddy. Abba, okay? And so, because really, what, what, if you think about what makes Christianity different, religion without relationship is like having rules without rewards. So if you turn Christianity into a moral philosophy, then that's all it is, is it's rules without rewards. Why would I even do that? Well, theoretically, your life is gonna be better, but we're just gonna say, you know, it's, it's philosophical, okay? Now, let me give you another example. I remember one time I, 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 I asked my daughter to do something inconvenient. I can't even remember fully what it was. I think it was like, I want you to plug your phone in downstairs earlier, and I knew that she needed to get a good night's sleep, and I was worried that her friends would be keeping her up texting, you know, after midnight, and so I'm like, just put your phone downstairs, and of course, it turned into one of those debates where, you know, like, well, why? Why do I have to do this? And, you know, I finally looked in, I, I realized we're not gonna have this debate right now at 11, um, and I finally looked her in the eyes, and I'm like, hey, I know this doesn't make sense to you, but hey, 
Even still, would you do this for me? Do this for me tonight. Put your phone downstairs. It was a relational ask, not a philosophical argument. Would you do it even as a favor, okay? Not, this is not a philosophical debate. And finally she was like, okay, I'll do it for you. You know what I'm saying? But it was the, I realized in that moment, oh, it was the relationship that did it. She knew my dad has been sacrificing for me all day today. He actually bought me, you know, Chick-fil-A today. You know, he did, she's going over the list of all the good things that I did and she thought the least I could do is honor his request right here. It was a relationship that did it. And, and guess what, over the coming week, was I able to unpack my logic behind some of the rules that I wanted to implement? Sure, but, but it was the relationship that actually kick-started that conversation. And I'm sharing all of this because all of these flawed approaches to God that I've been contrasting here are actually what God was trying to teach us way back in the beginning in the Old Testament. And that's the, one of the passages we're gonna hit is out of the Old Testament passage of Deuteronomy 8. And just to set it up, if you remember the story of the Ten Commandments, the Exodus story, Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go, and he's like, no way, and then the plagues, and then they parted the Red Sea, and then they went out to Sinai, remember that, all that? Okay, 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 it, just that was the brief summary of it, but really, the, the idea was, is that one of the early miracles that God started performing when he brought his people into the desert to teach them how to be his people is he did the miracle of manna, Manna, the miracle of manna. Now, obviously, in the desert, food was scarce, and so every day when they woke up, God had to supernaturally provide, provide food for them. And so God brought them into the desert on purpose because he wanted to put them into a situation where they would be dependent upon him, and he wanted to put them into a situation where he would have to miraculously provide for them daily and they would get so accustomed to the supernatural works of this God and relying on him for the supernatural that once they got to the promised land, it would not be a big deal. That was at least the, the, the ultimate goal. He was trying to train them to have instinctive trust, okay, daily trust. God was like, you think you know how to meet your needs after the last 400 years? Well, okay, you think you know how to meet your needs financially? I'm better. You think you know how to meet your needs sexually? I'm better. You think you know how to meet your needs emotionally, physically, etc.? I'm the source of life. I am the bread of life, the manna. Okay, that's really what he was trying to teach them through the manna miracle. And you gotta understand how weird manna was, okay? I mean, you gotta understand, this was a food that did not previously exist. The Bible says it came from heaven, Exodus 16, four. In other words, so, so God supernaturally created it. It showed up every morning, but weirdly it came with rules. They could not hoard manna because it would rot and get maggots in it if you saved more than a day's worth. How disconcerting is that? It lasts for one day, and then on the second day it would always get maggots. Uh, maggots. And, and so it came with rules. They couldn't hoard it. So except on Friday they could, before dusk. So the laws of nature would literally change on Friday. What was God doing there? God was trying to say, hey, I can change the laws of nature on a weekly basis. That's what he was teaching them, okay? I can change the laws of nature on a weekly basis, and so if you're not used to a God who can change the laws of nature, not only do I want you to get used to it, but I want you to get used to it on a weekly basis. On Fridays, suddenly things change, 
And it, this is kind of interesting. Just stick with me here, okay? And, and for some reason, manna would never show up on Sabbath morning because God said, I'm not going to allow it. I want you to rest. I don't want you gathering on Saturdays. And, and, and you're, I'm going to supernaturally make Friday's manna last. Okay, how bizarre. Okay, now you can bet that there were a few skeptical Israelites who just say, why, why? Why, 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 why? I need to know before I obey. And so what they did was is they saved it, they hoarded it, and guess what? Maggots. And God was like, oh, yeah, you want to have the maggot approach to learning. You don't have to, but you can. You know what I'm saying? God is weirdly consistent Sunday through Friday, and then it changes, and then, okay, what was God doing? Okay, in some ways, if you look at it from a psychological standpoint, he was doing a mental conditioning program, right? He was, he was retraining them stimulus response. God was saying, I want you to instinctively trust me, and when you do, it always works in your favor. Okay, so now finally, after the promised land, after, he's about, after 40 years in the wilderness, because they wouldn't learn the lesson, they kept retaking the test. After a lot of drama, a lot of skepticism, in Deuteronomy 8, God sits them down, gives them the pep talk. Okay, so this is that father-child moment where God's like, hey, I'm about to bring you into the promised land, and yeah, let's admit it, it's been a rough 40 years. Okay, so it's that moment, father, father, child, it's been a rough 40 years, he's summarizing everything he did up to that point. It's kind of like, the, 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 this moment is kind of like, uh, remember the karate kid, when, you know, suddenly, you know, he freaks out, like, you, you told me you were gonna teach me karate, and instead you made me wax your car and paint your fence, and then he's like, wax the car, and then, you know that moment? <laughs> and then we all just were like, oh God. It was so beautiful, and then you realize not only did he like teach him karate, but he got a new car, and then he found a new spiritual dad, and it was like, oh, okay. Uh, th that's happening in Deuteronomy 8 too, okay? So just, th that's the kind of the emotional context Moses is summarizing, and check this out. Deuteronomy 8 2, remember, how, he's tying it all together. Moses is tying, remember how the Lord led you all the way in the desert these 40 years, how? With manna, right? To, to do what? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. We all wanna be, we all like to imagine we're ready for God to answer a prayer and have a miracle, but God's looking at us saying, oh, I love you. You got something in your heart. If I actually answered that prayer, it would wreck you. So I gotta do something first. I gotta, I gotta test, I, you need to see what's in your own heart. And so, we gotta do this whole desert thing, even though you don't want it, okay? He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you, just laying it out as clear as day, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And remember, in the New Testament, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Jesus was reenacting the wilderness story uh, after his own baptism, and he quotes this. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, when you give someone your word, what are you doing? You're giving them a promise. I give you my word, I will show up. What you're saying is, I promise you, I am going to do this, that, and the other thing, okay? So when you are living on someone else's words, that means you are, you are 
thoroughly trusting in someone else's promise, okay? You're saturated, you're convinced of a promise, okay? So let's say you're a single person, you're trusting God for a spouse. When you are convinced that God is taking care of you, you're not trying to go out and help God all the time, you know what I'm saying? You're not lowering your standards, you're not going out to the bars and dating the wrong kind of people. You're, you're thoroughly trusting in God, right? Because you're feeding on a promise maybe like this, Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give me the desires of my heart. Lord, your word says that if I would just delight myself in you, find my delight in you, that you're gonna work all this stuff out. You're gonna give me the desires of my heart, maybe even give you new desires, okay? It's, it's kinda cool like that. You're feeding on it to the point where you're not riding the roller coaster like everyone else is. Why? Because you believe in the promiser. That's why you're able to pass by the cookies because you know something better is coming that is 10 times better than these cookies. You know what I'm saying? You're able to live on that promise. You're able to be content, and it's not even a hard thing. It's a natural outgrowth of living on God's word. It's kind of an example of this. I, I, a decade ago, I got to hear a, a really cool miracle story. I got to hear a sermon from um, Dr. Yangi Cho. If you don't know who he is, he, he pastored what was at that time one of the largest churches in the world in South Korea. And of course, he's gone home to be with the Lord. And uh, I will say, you know, like if you read his story, uh, he had some controversies towards the end of his life, but as a, as a pastor, but he also had some pretty incredible miracle moments that caused the church to grow to the size that it did. And I, I wanna tell you about one of them because I, it just kind of it really exemplified to me what it's like to live on the words of God. At that time in South Korea, there was a, a mentally ill man who was a cook and he intentionally put animal poison into his food uh, because he wanted to do kind of a mass murder situation and he fed this food to dozens of elementary school kids. It actually made international news and 30 kids died on the spot as a result of this guy poisoning the food. And of course, one of the poisoned kids happened to be Pastor Cho of this church. And the reason why this is so uh, a kind of an interesting story is Pastor Cho was known all over the region for preaching the healing parts of the scriptures. And he really believed that God wanted to heal people. And of course, he also got massive criticism. Uh, you know, all throughout South Korea, a lot of people thought that was almost cultic to trust God for healing. And, and it was almost weird. And so, you know, for his own son to get afflicted with this poison um, was, was, you know, it actually made national headlines about his son. And, um, and yet his son was one of the few who had not yet died from this poisoning. And the doctors couldn't do anything. And so I wanna read to you the story of those final moments in his son's life um, when he was in the hospital. Dr. Cho is watching his son convulse and tremble and he writes, well, I, son, well, I saw my son tremble, he would cry. He would look at me and say, Daddy, Daddy, help me, help me. And of course, I couldn't help him, so it just ripped my heart out every time he would say it. And finally, I just remember praying, God, just let me die. I, I've lived more than 40 years on this world. I don't serve any more purpose. Uh, just, but this boy, he just started to live. Why, why should he die because of these evildoers? Please, let me die in his place. But we all know that kind of whining doesn't do anything. It doesn't create any results. And so finally I thought, I'm gonna fight this. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let the devil rob me because of this 
crazy man's foolishness. And so I loosened up my necktie. I took off my coat and I said, all right, I'm going to fight. I, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give my son resurrection. And if he's not resurrected, I'm going to die along with him through fasting. I started making these vows and these rash commitments. And I, I started confessing all of the sins that I could remember in my life since my childhood. And I claimed the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. But I just, I just felt so choked up. I could barely even pray. And the pressure felt so powerful in that moment. It, it felt like I, I, my prayers weren't even reaching the ceiling. It was like the power of Satan was so strong I couldn't break it. And it was, it was such a struggle to pray, but I just struggled every moment in the name of Jesus Christ. And I prayed and I opened up my Bible to, to Mark chapter 16, verse 18, and it's that, that part that says, and this is, what I, this is what it says, whoever believes when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. And so I yelled, this is the word of God. I'm gonna stand on your word. I'm gonna live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And at the end of my first hour of prayer, I was so exhausted, I felt like I had died. But nothing was happening in my son. And so I prayed two hours. And then I prayed three hours. And by this point, I'm, I'm sweating all over the place. And as I was looking over my son, I noticed that all of a sudden he had stopped breathing. He had turned completely white. And right in that moment, I just felt this impression from the devil. I felt like the devil whispered to me, your son is dead. Give it up. Stop this. Stop praying. The newspapers are going to read tomorrow, the healer's son has died. After all, I had been known throughout the region as the pastor who preached on healing. And throughout Korea, they, everybody knew I preached on healing and so the devil just kept whispering to me, your son is dead and your ministry is done. Yet in that moment, even though he had stopped breathing, I just knew I was not done fighting. I, I just said, no, no, no way, no way. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away. The Bible says these signs will accompany those who believe they will drink deadly poison and it will not hurt them, and so in the name of Jesus Christ, I am going to win, and I fought, and I fought, and I fought, and then suddenly, it just felt like, it just felt like something was broken, like this peace just suddenly washed over my heart. I felt completely relieved, and it felt like my, my soul was just filling up with faith, filling up with peace, with love, and I, I just knew I had the victory, and I, I began to shout, and I began to look around and smile, and, and yet my wife almost seems kind of embarrassed because apparently, you know, my, my son had died, and yet, you know, there his father is starting to shout and smile and laugh. It, 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 she told me later that she thought I had lost my mind. But I walked up to my son and I shouted, Samuel, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the moment I said those words, instantly he, he obeyed. He like, he sat up, he started breathing, he opened his mouth and started vomiting blue, gooey, poisonous things all over my bed. And of course my bed was all messed up. And then after a big gasp of air, he began shouting, daddy. I'm coming back, Daddy, I'm coming back. Jesus brought me back. He brought me here. He's here, Daddy, right now, he's here. And sure enough, his son was miraculously healed, and obviously, you know, it was the exact opposite headlines. It was 
Dr. Cho, the healer's son, has lived. God used that miracle to really expand the reputation of his own name. And, and believe it or not, that church grew to over 800,000 people after that miracle, okay? So it, it was a pretty big deal. And I, I, in church, I, I shared that story because I think at some point, all of us are gonna go through a desert season. All of us are gonna go through a test. All of us are gonna go through a major, like either a job loss, a major financial issue, a major medical diagnosis. All of us are gonna experience tragedy. And listen, one out of one people are dying nowadays. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it happens. At some point, you're gonna experience the death of a loved one and it's gonna be painful. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you and tell you it's gonna all be easy and if you just accept Christianity, it's all gonna be easy. Listen, there are desert seasons in this life even for us as believers. And in those moments though, I do believe that even in desert seasons, God has daily bread, he has daily miracles that he wants us to experience. And in those moments, we're gonna have to learn how to feed on that daily bread, feed on those promises, how to stand on it, no matter how we feel in all of us. Again, daily faith, and once we have, and here's the good news, once we have daily faith, we learn how to feed on daily manna, we learn how to feed on the promises on a daily basis, I'm promising you, no matter what's going on in your life, you're gonna feel the solid rock of Jesus Christ giving you stability, even when he doesn't always do what we want. I guarantee you the Israelites didn't necessarily wanna eat manna, and it says so, many, many times. There's gonna be times you're gonna be in the desert, and you're gonna pray a certain prayer, God, I wanna, I want a big meat feast, you know what I'm saying? And God's gonna be like, no, nope, here's manna. You know what I'm saying? And, and even when we, so I always tell people, hey listen, even when you pray God's word, it's critical that we always submit our prayers to God's timeline and God's creativity. I've been in a lot of situations like Dr. Cho where I prayed God's word over a thing and it didn't happen. God does not always do what I want in the timeline that I want it, but you know what, in the end, in the end, God always does show up and he brings a joy that's better. It, he brings about a circumstance that's even better. I look back at like all of my books and all of my best songs that I've written over the years, all of them came out of the worst moments of tragedy in my life. God always turns things around for the benefit of those who love him, always, always, always. And at the end of the day, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows how to bless you better than you know how to bless you. And even when God doesn't answer your prayers in the timeline that you want it, sometimes you don't even know what to pray because God actually knows what's gonna make you happy even more than you do. And at the end of the day, you're either gonna trust him or you won't. Either you're gonna trust the promiser is actually gonna bring something better than what you see in front of you or you don't. And I, I'm just, I'm telling you, church, I think one of the things that I want you to get out of this series is simple. It's that trusting God does not have to feel like a gamble when you're intimate with his, when you're intimate with God through these three things, his word, his church, and his spirit. I'm just telling you, things aren't just, things just won't rock you the same way. But if you're missing any of those three, God's word, God's church, or God's spirit. And a lot of us, we have one of those to the exclusion of the others because there's one that we like more than others. You know what I'm saying? Like some of you, you're like, I don't like people. So the church is always gonna be a hard one for you, right? Others of you, I hate reading. Well, the word of God is a book. 
And if you hate reading, then you're gonna not have a whole lot of promises, you know what I'm saying? Others of you are like, well, I'm not a mystical person. Well, sometimes the Holy Spirit moves in mystical ways, and you're gonna have to learn how to get over that. You're gonna, uh, so uh, we're gonna talk about that in coming weeks, how to have intimacy so that we can experience the power of God. And, 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 but, but here's the cool thing, is that once you have that intimacy, I'm just telling you, not only will self-control flow, but, but prophetic insights will flow supernatural power is gonna flow. And again, that doesn't mean that you're always gonna get what you want, but I do believe that God wants to get all of us to the point of weekly miracles. And I'm not there yet, but I do believe that he wants to get us there yet, because that was the whole point of the manna lesson. And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't, I don't even know, Pastor Peter, if I've ever seen a biblical miracle. Well, um, guess what? That is a sign to you that God is drawing you deeper into intimacy with his word, with his church with his spirit. And in the coming months, we're gonna unpack that. But just right now, would you just today, just close your eyes and just, let's just do business with God. Maybe you're here and, and uh, you know it's time for a reset. You know God is calling you out of the shallow waters of Christianity into something deeper. I want you just to obey this moment. Or maybe you're here and you're like new to this whole God thing and you're like, Pastor Peter, I'm not even sure what I think about all this kind of stuff. Hey, that's okay. Don't worry about your doubts right now. I just want you to be open. At least just take whatever little tiny bit of faith you have and just place it in the hands of God and just pray this simple little prayer after me. Would you just join me, everybody together? Would you say this after me? Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, lead me, and renew my mind that I might know you and make you known starting today for the rest of my life. Just make it, make it intimate. Just between you and God, just say, thank you, Father, for choosing me. I love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Church, we're going to have some fun with this series. But with all that said, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. I love you guys. See you this next week. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message. 